Welcome to Healthy Planet, Healthy You with Jimena Yanez and Lorenzo Rosenzweig. Over the next hour, you'll discover unique ideas and perspectives about how to improve your health and the planet as well. Now, here are your hosts, Jimena and Lorenzo. Welcome. Hello and bienvenidos. Happy Wednesday. Thank you for tuning in to Healthy Planet, Healthy You. I am so excited to be here with you. My name is Jimena Yanez. I am an author, a health coach, and a Reiki and biomagnetism therapist. I am the mom of two young ladies, and I would like them to see a beautiful planet and thrive in it. When I realized that what we were putting in our mouths affect our, our health as well as the environment, I realized the importance to transition to a more sustainable and healthy diet. Hello, bienvenidos. Thank you for tuning in to Healthy Planet, Healthy You. I am Lorenzo Rosenzweig, and I have devoted more than 40 years of my life to the natural world and its conservation. I am also a writer, a photographer, a watercolor painter, an amateur naturalist, and a grandfather of six. Next December, seven grandchildren. Yay, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> My professional training as an engineer and marine biologist has fostered a deep interest in marine conservation, hydrology, and all the mysteries and wonders of nature. How are you today, Jimena? I am very well, thank you. Enjoying friends and family in Costa Rica and very happy because GNC never ceases to amaze me. This week, a lawsuit against the state of Montana came to a close. Young people between 5 to 18 years demanding a healthy environment filed and uh, piled an unprecedented lawsuit. Kids understand they deserve a healthy and beautiful world, and that fills my heart. What is good news for you today, Lorenzo? Well, that's good news, Jimena. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm happy to hear that. And since last episode, I lived a light case of influenza. But it was more than enough to recognize the importance, the incredible importance of being healthy. I value, appreciate, and feel grateful with all my heart feeling well again after a few days of fever and body pain. Oh. Ama amazing the power of those microscopic viruses and how they can bring you down from one day to the next. But here I am full of energy again, and optimistic about the future. Well, I'm glad you feel better. <laughs> That's good news. Yeah. Every week, we engage in casual conversations to help you understand what is really going on, considering there's a lot of conflicting information on social media. We want you to exercise your right to decide for yourself, so we offer facts that you can double-check later on your own. Yes, so allow us to tell you the story of how we got into this environmental and health crisis. What are the odds if we fail to act during the next years? And what are the things you can do for your personal benefit and at the same time to support worldwide efforts for a healthy planet? In the last episode, we talk about how in the last decades, humans have moved out from rural to urban areas. Today, more than 75% of the population lives in urban areas, and this percentage is expected to keep growing. 
we have also incorporated digital technologies into our day-to-day lives, which have influenced our disconnection from the natural world and from each other. As a result of the separation, we are going through an epidemic of loneliness, which triggers stress, anxiety, and even anger. We also talked about all the things you can do to bring balance to your life and enjoy technology in a healthy way. As we want to keep building up so you can get the tools to make informed decisions, today we are going to talk about the rights of nature. <laughs> and we will have Alexa Firmenich joining us. Alexa is an expert in the true appreciation of nature and is also a talented writer. She works in the intersection of science and spirituality and for almost a decade has been a guiding beacon and an inspiration for me. She introduced me also to the concept of rights of nature. And if you're thinking, how can nature have rights? Let me explain it to you. The rights of nature or earth rights is a legal and jurisprudential concept that aims to provide inherent rights to ecosystems and natural elements very similar to the concept of granting fundamental human rights. This innovative concept challenges the 20th century approach in which nature is a resource to be owned, used, subdued, and degraded. Mm -hmm. The the rights of nature is very intriguing. It's an intriguing idea that invites us to rethink our relationship with nature, and it is gaining momentum. We often talk about the importance of protecting the environment, but recognizing the rights of nature takes it to a whole new level. It's about acknowledging that nature has intrinsic value and deserves legal protection, just like any individual or community. Its goal is to balance benefits for human beings, ecosystems, and the planet as a whole. This philosophy goes hand in hand with the knowledge and understanding that all life and all natural elements on our planet are interrelated. What is different from the traditional approach is that rather than treating nature as property under the law, the rights of nature acknowledge that the natural world has the right to exist, flourish, regenerate its vital cycles, and evolve without human-caused disruption. Yes, definitely. Granting rights to nature ensures that we make decisions for the long-term health and well-being of the environment. Let's think about traditional laws and jurisdictions regarding environmental protection. They were designed not to protect the environment, but to protect individuals, corporations, and other legal entities. Environmental protection laws were designed to become a tool to sanction environmental harm by regulating how much pollution or destruction of nature can occur within the law. Under this traditional scope, ecosystems and other natural elements do not count as constituents of protection. Completely different from this approach, the concept of rights of nature provides a legal framework for holding individuals corporations and governments accountable for actions that harm the environment. And and this is why the rights of nature is so fascinating. It is striving for a shift. The idea is to place nature at the center of the decision-making process, understanding that humans depend on and are connected to 
to it more than being the dominant force we have been taught to be. Under this concept, nature has a voice that allows communities to act on behalf of ecosystems facing destruction. This means that we, the people, have the legal authority and responsibility to enforce nature's rights. Yes, and let me explain this. According to the rights of nature, an ecosystem or natural element not only is entitled to legal personhood status, but has the right to defend itself in court. This means that the natural elements and ecosystems can be appointed as the injured party and can defend themselves from environmental degradation caused by a specific project or even climate change. But how can the natural world defend itself? When an ecosystem <laughs> yes. is declared a subject of rights, it has the right to be legally represented by a guardian who will act on its behalf and its best interest much like a charitable trust designates a trustee. The guardian is typically an individual or a group of individuals that understand, care for, and manage the said ecosystem. Yeah, it's like appointing rights to a corporation or a church. The goal of conferring rights to nature is to secure the highest level of environmental protection so ecosystems and all natural elements can thrive. But of course, this implies that a group of people is observant that those rights are being protected. The concept of the rights of nature is not only about non-human natural elements. Lawsuits also need to draw attention to environmental issues faced by marginalized communities, particularly indigenous communities who have been stewards of nature for centuries because their livelihoods and cultural and spiritual practices depend on them. For some indigenous cultures around the world, recognizing the rights of nature is consistent with their traditions. We talked a little bit about this in the last episode. We said some of these cultures, as well as ancient civilizations, have contemplated every single thing. It's animals, trees, water, soil, and even stones as living beings and equals. Yes, we should strive to contemplate our surrounding natural environment as a living being that provides us, has intrinsic value, and deserves legal protection. Over the last decade, courts, legislatures, and several governments around the world have pursued and won ecosystem protection through the concept of the rights of nature. Here are some interesting examples. In 2008, Ecuador became the first country in the world to formally recognize and implement the rights of nature, which Ecuadorians refer to as the rights of Pachamama or Mother Earth. A couple of weeks ago, we had Yolanda Cacabatze with us to talk about food loss and waste. She's an Ecuadorian conservation leader and was the minister of the environment for Ecuador. During her interview, she told us that growing up, she could notice how her parents were already aware of the changes and damages to their environment. So it does not surprise me that Ecuador is the leading country promoting and demanding this concept. The constitutional provisions regarding the rights of Pachamama stated, nature or Pachamama has the right to fundamental respect for its existence and for the conservation and regeneration of its life cycles, structure, functions, and evolutionary processes. All persons, communities, peoples, and nations can call up, can call up upon public authorities to enforce the rights of nature. 
Three years later, in 2011, the first lawsuit using the rights of nature provision was filed by the Global Alliance for Rights of Nature, its acronym G-A-R-N, and others against a construction company for building a road across Ecuador's Villa Cabamba River and dumping rubble into the river. The Provincial Justice Court of Loja ruled in favor of the river, and nature won the case, but as in many things and cases related to law compliance, winning a case and making sure the suit party complies are two very different things. The construction company did not comply with the ruling, and the Garn was not able to afford a second lawsuit. Yeah, that that was very bad. And there are still voids to be filled in the legislation. Between 2016 and 2017, Four rivers sought and in some instances won legal rights. The Rio Atrato in Colombia, the Wanganui River in New Zealand, and the Ganga and Yamuna Rivers in India. In 2016, the Constitution Court of Colombia issued a landmark ruling that, that declared the Rio Atrato to have legal rights, including the right to protection, conservation, maintenance, and restoration. This ruling aimed to address the environmental degradation caused by mining activities and other forms of pollution in the region. But again, (laughs) the full implementation and enforcement of the ruling have faced challenges and ongoing efforts are being made to protect and restore the rights of the Rio Atrato. Yeah, and some efforts have demonstrated that this new approach is possible, like the New Zealand case. Regarding this case, the parliament passed the the Awatupua Act, appointing two guardians of the river, one representative of the Maori indigenous people who consider the river a living ancestor, and one representative of the government, the crown, in an effort to reconcile two different worldviews. While it is still relatively early to assess its long-term impact, the Act has shown promising signs in terms of promoting a holistic and sustainable approach to river management and encouraging stronger relationships between the Wanganui Iwi and the government. Yes, and to finish the story, let me tell you what happened with the Ganga and Yamuna rivers in India. They were also granted the status of legal persons with the recognition of the rights of nature. And as in New Zealand's case, the ruling assigned two guardians to represent and uphold the rights of the rivers. But in this case, legal challenges and debates regarding the practical implementation of these rights have arisen since the ruling and the issue is still being reviewed within the legal system in India. Yeah, some other countries have already joined these initiatives. In the United States, several cities have asked for an ecosystem to bear legal rights. For example, in 2019, the city of Toledo, Ohio, adopted the Lake Erie Bill of Rights, L-E-B-O-R, an initiative aimed at granting legal rights to Lake Erie, one of the five great lakes of North America. Labor was introduced in response to concerns about the health and well-being of Lake Erie, which has been subject to significant pollution and environmental degradation over the years. This Bill of Rights grants citizens and organizations the authority to file lawsuits against individuals, corporations, or government entities that violate Lake Erie's rights. However, soon after its passage, legal challenges were raised. 
questioning the constitutionality of granting rights to a natural entity. Libor was challenged in federal court and was ruled invalid by a federal judge. This ruling, pre ruling prevented the initiative from being enforced at the federal level. Still, not everything is lost because Libor and these initiatives we have been talking about have sparked broader discussions about environmental protection and the rights of nature. Yes, and it's worth noting that many legal systems around the world are starting to grant nature a legal standing and arming it against injury. Yes, it has been hard to translate it into reality. However, these cases show us the evolving legal perspectives on nature and the efforts to grant legal rights to ecosystems and natural entities. These innovative legal decisions are growing recognition of the value of the natural world. And of course, it was expected that this new philosophy was going to meet some implementation problems because it requires us to think in a very different way. Some experts say that it is still unclear how successful these lawsuits can be in gaining adequate long-term protection of ecosystems. And we have seen how outcomes differ based on how a case is framed and on what the interests and demands of the claimants are. The experts say that we're going to need a growing number of lawsuits involving the rise of nature to set a precedent for international, national, and local governments to act on ecosystems and natural elements conservation. Yes, and there is hope because we're starting to see that despite the lack of consensus on the implementation of these new laws, some governments are already understanding the importance to preserve and take care of the natural world. Here are some encouraging stories linked to the protection of aquifers. France banned hydraulic fracturing fracking in, 20, in 2011, uh, becoming the first country to do so. And other countries, European countries and states in New York are doing the same or implementing bans or moratoriums. Yes, I love good news. In February 2021, the Inu Council in, the, in Canada recognized the Canadian Magpies River legal rights of personhood. So you see, there's resolutions, yeah. there's progress being made. Yeah. Very interesting, Jimena. If we're approaching our first boss, when we come back, we will have Alexa Fermenich joining us to keep talking about this fascinating topic. Stay tuned. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Do you want to have control over your eating decisions, your life, and your and your family's health? Do you wish to take action that benefits the planet, humanity, and generations to come? Healthy Planet, Healthy You offers a unique opportunity to increase the public's awareness of vital environmental and health issues while sharing easy-to-apply habits that can change the world. A book you cannot miss. Find it on Amazon. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. 
Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Healthy Planet, Healthy You with Jimena Yanez and Lorenzo Rosenzweig. Have a question for Jimena and Lorenzo or their guests? Join us on the show at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Now back to the show. Welcome back. If you are tuning in, we have been talking about the rights of nature. We have Alexa Firminich with us today. Alexa is an investor, consultant, and facilitator focused on climate and biodiversity. She is the co-director of SEED, S-E-E-D, a new center of the Crowder Lab at ETH Surge. SEED is developing the world's most holistic measure of biodiversity that reflects all scales of nature's complexity for any location on the planet, with the goal to steer financial and political decision makers to crystallize the value of nature into the global economy. Alexa is also the founder of Ground Effect, an animist investment vehicle that supports early stage nature-based solutions, scientific research, and new economic models. Parallel to this work, she is a trained as a group facilitator in leadership development and ecological pedagogy, designing multi-day learning journeys through the role at Leaders Guest. She's also a board member of Terra Habitus, an author, podcast host of Life Worlds, and a wilderness guide. Welcome. welcome, Alexa. Welcome. It's a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you for having me both. <laughs> <laughs> Can you share with us, Alexa, the experiences in your childhood that opened your eyes to nature and environment advocacy? Yeah, I think there's, um, you've got to imagine a little young Alexa who was very geeky and very alone. <laughs> so I grew up as an only child. Uh, we live out, we lived outside of Geneva, Switzerland, um, on a lake surrounded by nature and I didn't have many friends and I learned that um, other species and other beings could be my friends instead of humans and so <laughs> um, it's 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 a, it's a positive spin on a sad tale um, but also I really always loved these fantasy books when I was a kid that had like you know, like Lord of the Rings, but like with animals, this exists. And so I used to read all of these fantasy books with like multiple generations of lineages of otters and wolves and wombats and badgers. And um, I've always been fascinated by a kind of magical surrealism and mysticism. Um, so now that I look back at this little girl, I think she was out in the forest and then she'd come home and read these books and it kind of immersed me in, in this idea that nature is magical, that other species have their own societies, their own cultures, their own, you know, civics. And uh, yeah, I guess it really did start there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's beautiful. Um, it's just like living, uh, when you told us that you were reading these books, it's just like living in a fantasy world, but actually it's kind of, 
similar, if you pay attention, it's kind of similar to what happens uh, with the natural world in this planet. So in 2022, you started a blog called Life Worlds, and you say, and I quote, it is a podcast series guided by nature. So I, I'm, I'm assuming you're taking for granted nature as a driver for change. So what crosses your mind when you hear the word nature and how can it be a leading force for a podcast? Yeah, so quickly on the podcast, um, the term life worlds is kind of taken from the German Umwelt, which is the idea that um, different beings, different entities, you know, um, humans and other species have an experience of the world around them. Um, and that experience can be quite unique. What's it like to be an ant? What's it like to be a tree? What's it like to be a river? And I work in the sustainability movement broadly. And the premise of the podcast is that we need to learn to inhabit the world from multiple perspectives of nature, which I'll get to as a term, um, in order to actually make intelligent and sensitive interventions. So very often we are humans, right? And we approach a problem from a human perspective. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, and that means that we're not designing with the real stakeholders in mind, the stakeholders being the natural um, ecosystems and beings themselves. So in the podcast, I interview many different types of practitioners from agriculture to fungi to finance. Lorenzo was on it, mm -hmm. um, asking how they learned to feel the world through the perspectives of nature. Um, and so what do I mean when I say nature? Well, I think it's it's a very interesting word. And if you if you go back to the original etymology of it in Latin, right, nature kind of means essential qualities, this this essence of something, the innate disposition of it. And it also means to be to birth or to be born. And so that's kind of the interpretation I have of nature, which is this innate essence of which we are. And if you look at it, Nature is both characterized mostly by relationships and processes, not by individual beings. So we may think of a, a waterfall or a landscape when we think of nature, but actually nature is the invisible parts in a way. It's all of the relationships that bind that place together. And um, I wrote a piece once and I just I just took a little extract from it that I thought could be quite nice to, to speak to if we spoke about nature, which was, yes. you know, nature is both a planetary superorganism. It's Gaia, it's the Earth in its entirety, it's us, it's me, it's you. And it's the countless, countless multi-species relationships that compose it. So it's it's the entirety of everything and the individual parts, which requires a mind that can hold complexity and kind of systems thinking to see that you can look at the tree and see the leaves and the tree both as being one entity and separate beings in the same way that Jimena and Lorenzo, we are separate beings, but we are also very much part of the same living entity mm -hmm. um and that brings me just to one issue is that very often in our language we separate humans and nature and we say humans are this and nature is that you know we forget that we're an animal i was reading this book the other day and the first line of it said the problem with the human being is that it is an animal that does not want to be an animal and does not think <laughs> it is an animal <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but we are animals right we are nature and we speak mm -hmm. of it as if it's something outside of ourselves yeah. um and the last point on this just to say is the problem with speaking about nature in this way is what we speak conditions how we think. And so if we speak of nature as something external, as an asset, as a service provider, as all this language we have right now in the climate movement, we end up instrumentalizing and objectifying um, something which is deeply sacred and also part of what we belong to. 
And so um, that creates a very abstracted instrumental relationship, which in my opinion, and of many others, drives a lot of the crisis that we find ourselves in. Yes, beautiful. Thank you. Beautiful. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You have to, you have to, Alexa, you have to act what you walk. And recently you recommended to me a book called Immense Worlds. And, and uh, it was just an amazing discovery to me because it is a in-depth uh, stories about how nature, other species, other animals, other living creatures communicate and perceive through their senses. And absolutely, uh, uh, we have to see the world through the eyes of all of the living organisms that share the planet with us. So thank you for that recommendation, as many others that you have made. They have enriched my points of view very much. So let me let me do another question that that I, I am I've been reading lately about rights of nature and I am fascinated by the term. But the concept also needs to draw attention to environmental issues faced by marginalized communities. However, we have been forcing native people, native inhabitants from their lands in an ill-conceived effort to transform forests into pristine reserves. You say, or protected areas, you say that we are losing social cultural wisdom in the pursuit of ill-conceived ecological preservation. Can you go a little bit deeper in this idea and how can we do things right? Mm. Well, I think the fundamental um, ground from which this, this grows is the, is the notion that human culture very often emerges from a place right? The, the songs, the dance, the rituals, the foods, the poetry, the language traditionally emerges from an ecosystem. Um, and, and you see patterns between human culture and, and the ecosystem that they've been meshed in. So, um, you know, when we speak about local communities or indigenous nations or native communities, very often there is no difference for them between their culture and the land around them, and they are one and the same. And so, Lorenzo, I'm sure you saw this in your time, but in, you know, in the sort of initial conservation movements, um, Conservation 1.0, we wanted to create these national parks um, or protected areas. And we had such a pessimistic view of the human being that we kicked the humans out, you know, often indigenous nations that lived in the land because humans could not possibly be a regenerative contributive force in nature. No, we must be destructive. So the humans have to leave. So this has massive implications, obviously, on a moral and ethical grounds, um, social justice. You know, these are humans who have lived there before we came along to decide what becomes a park and not. And secondly, a lot of those ecosystems were actually tended to by those communities. Um, they did prescribed burns for forest management. They created species, um, places for other species to grow. They, you know, in the Amazon, um, these nations cultivated terra preta, which are very, very thick, dark soil. So they create forest um, um, food forests in the middle of the jungle. And so when we kick humans off land, it's both a crisis um, socially and also ecologically. Um, and so what we're seeing now, finally, I think we know them. The world has kind of woken up to these challenges and we're seeing a lot of interesting remedies to this. Um, there's a big movement now to give more land tenure. Um, so that's actually legal um, rights to communities to have quote unquote, ownership or stewardship over land. So they're not kicked out, they get the legal papers. Um, you're seeing, well, I was living up in Canada for a while and there's interesting um, projects there in the IPCA movement. These are indigenous protected conserved areas. 
So this is based off the understanding that often the people who live in the land know it best and their mechanisms by which the indigenous peoples create integrated landscape management plans um, that focus on carbon, biodiversity, livelihoods, so on and so forth. And then they, um, they, they, they basically apply to the Canadian government and get protected park status and all the benefits that are conferred onto that but they are part of that management and they can use that management for their livelihoods and their subsistence and their food. Um, so that's an interesting approach that you're seeing there. And I say for just one last point, um, Lorenzo, to your piece on rights, um, in the carbon space and in the biodiversity space, there is a chance to generate a lot of profit. And whenever there's a chance to generate profit, people come in. And we've seen this term called carbon cowboys, which are essentially um often large asset managers or financial actors who purchase farmland or forest land because they can farm carbon often monocultures very destructive to biodiversity not resilient um and they come in and purchase the land and then sell the credits on the global markets and so what we're as, as a remedy to this we're seeing um a lot more um, needs for the local ownership of the of the groups that were there before and revenue sharing or benefit sharing of any future sale of any future credit, um, which also addresses the equity side of things. Yeah, thank you. Very interesting. And um, it's the, the idea of humans are separated from nature. I think that's the, the, the starting point, right? And then of course the money, the money. So I have a question for you. What does the idea of market solutions to climate change mean? And what are the ups and downs of this concept? Yeah, so it's obviously a large term, but essentially, you know, let's not kid anyone. Market forces are very much what has destroyed ecosystems around the world. Um, the way we extract, the permission to pollute, the way that we can externalize harms. So very often when you buy cheap food or food in general, um, the real cost of what you're buying is not in the price, whether it's um, whether it's plastics or food. And so market solutions come in many forms. Some of them can be um, impact investments. Some of them can be different bonds. And um, But specifically, the idea is to correctly try and price in nature um, because we've undervalued all of the assets that 100% of GDP um, is built upon. And so, um, you know, we think that by doing this, you can um, adjust the incentive schemes, you can reward positive action, so on and so forth. Um, there are a few problems with this. I'll just touch on them briefly because of the um, we don't have enough time to go into them in a, in a lot of form. But there, the problems with market solutions is that one, they can often create the wrong ecological outcomes if you're not careful. So you can over incentivize for one particular thing in ecosystem service markets. Um, we can talk about this in another episode, maybe. Behaviorally, a lot of these um, extrinsically based systems um, create an extrinsic reward for something that should really be an intrinsic motivation. Yeah. And so we can erode at the reasons why people want to do things. Um, and then systemically, people say that the market solutions are just extending the shelf life of a system that is obsolete. And we should focus a lot more on activism and policy change and real reforms. Yes. Interesting, um, Alexa. Um, uh, I, when you're saying this, uh, pricing nature right i remember a story that happened long ago 
when there was this raging fight between putting a new mining operation in a whale sanctuary, and there was all this discussion about the economy and, and employment and all that. And suddenly, uh, pres the president we had in Mexico at that time, a visionary, he was taking to so see and watch the whales with his family. And after that, he said, I just get it. Now I get it. This is not a market or an economy thing. This is this is an eco philosophy thing, and and he brought the project to a stop. So so basically, uh, this is goes along very well with the term you use in your articles about eco philosophy and biodiversity mindset. Can you tell us more about those concepts in the last two minutes we have for your interview? The term eco-philosophy for me draws a lot on deep ecology, which was a 1970s movement very much stewarded by Arne Ness. And it basically says that other forms of life have an intrinsic right to exist, just as we do, irrespective of our instrumental needs of them. So the whales are there because they're just being whales. They don't exist because there are carbon sinks or there are tourism you know, industry. Um, and so for me, eco-philosophy very deeply looks at the human nature context that we've kind of touched on briefly here. And what is the right relationship between human beings and the other forms of life we share this earth with? So I encourage anyone to look up deep ecology if they want to go um, further on the subject. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you, Alexa. So beautiful. Um, we usually close this segment asking a question <laughs> that I hope you you speak from your heart. What gives you hope? I think what gives me hope is how change is deeply nonlinear and emergent when you're looking at complex systems like the ones that we live inhabit. So we may look at the stats and think that things are quite dire, but that doesn't account for the change in paradigms, the change in mindsets and all the small actions um, that are happening in the ground. And I believe that collectively they will lead to tremendously exciting things that we cannot even anticipate. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's true. That gives us hope as well, Alexa. <laughs> yeah, very <laughs> yeah. true. Thank you. Well, so... it's time it's time to go to the next break. Thank you so much, Alexa, for your participation. Uh, when we return in the last segment of our this episode, we talk about the things you can do and how to take action now so your everyday choices will lead to your optimal health and also align with global environment efforts. Stay tuned. Thank you. Bye, Alexa. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Do you want to have control over your eating decisions, your life, and your and your family's health? Do you wish to take action that benefits the planet, humanity, and generations to come? Healthy Planet, Healthy You offers a unique opportunity to increase the public's awareness of vital environmental and health issues while sharing easy-to-apply habits that can change the world. A book you cannot miss. Find it on Amazon. 
Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Healthy Planet, Healthy You with Jimena Yanez and Lorenzo Rosenzweig. Have a question for Jimena and Lorenzo or their guests? Join us on the show at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Now back to the show. Welcome back. If you're tuning in, we have been talking about the rights of nature. Before the break, Alexa Firmenich shared with us how nature can be a driving force for change. We went into the concept of market solutions for the climate crisis and the needed shift in people mindsets to bring balance and harmony to our lives. In our first segment, before we interviewed Alexa, we talked about the rights of nature by recognizing these rights in the legal systems and an increasing number of countries are acknowledging the premise that nature has inalienable rights just as humans do, what we call inherent rights. This idea may be radical, but it is also a natural evolution from the obsolete assumption that nature is property under the law. In our present system of law, we act as if nature is our slave, in the best scenario with instrumental rights. The right approach would be to consider nature as a subject of inherent rights, creating the conditions for a system of global guardianships and a universal declaration for the rights of nature is one of my dreams and brings energy and optimism to my work. The implementation and effectiveness of the rights of nature legal system can vary depending on the jurisdiction and specific legal frameworks. However, proponents argue that such an approach could help shift the legal paradigm towards a more holistic and sustainable relationship between humans and the environment, supporting the global battle against biodiversity loss and climate change. Mm -hmm. and, and many people around the world are already understanding that we are indeed going through an environmental crisis that needs to be solved in this decade and are hoping to see these innovative legal systems win the battle against climate change. So the UNEP, the United Nations Environmental Program, Global Climate Litigation Report for 2020, uh, it's called the 2020 Status Review, in cooperation with the Saving Center for Climate Change Law at Columbia University, provided an overview of the state of climate change litigation globally, as well as an assessment of its trends in 2020. The report stated that climate change litigations occurring around the world are increasing at a rapid pace. Um, they saw that in 2017, there were 884 cases brought in 24 countries, while in 2020, the number of cases had nearly doubled with at least 1,550 cases 
uh, filed in 38 countries, we could say 39, including the European Union courts. And climate litigation is, com is compelling governments and corporations to engage in more ambitious climate change mitigation and adaptation goals. And these growing numbers of climate cases is driving the urgent change we need to see in the next seven to 10 years. Yes, very interesting, Jimena, what you just said. Some of the topics in climate litigation identified by the UNEP report include one, failures of governments to enforce their commitment to climate change mitigation and adaptation. Mm -hmm. yes. Two, greenwashing and non-disclosures when corporate messaging contains false or misleading information about climate change impacts. And three, violations of climate rights which integrate the human rights to life, health, food, and water. Very interestingly, fundamental human rights are connected to a safe climate and have been integrated into the political constitutions of over 100 countries. People are starting to hold their governments responsible, seeking to keep carbon and fossil fuels in the ground and enforcing the implementation of climate-related laws and policies. Because of that, changes are starting to happen. For example, courts from Indonesia to Australia have made revolutionary rulings that denounced the human rights violations of the climate crisis. And, and in the U.S. too, changes are starting to happen. Uh, While the majority of cl uh, climate lawsuits filed in the country, in the U.S., uh, they have been thrown out of court or delayed in procedural arguments. In 2023, uh, we're starting to see an unprecedented change. As I said at the beginning of the show, it fills my heart that a group of young people is going to court against the state of Montana. And this is a first of its kind trial where young representatives of nature, Gen Z, argue that the state's lawmakers are not doing enough to address climate change and the state is failing to protect their constitutional rights, including the right to a healthy and clean environment. These this young people, Gen Z, they're also claiming that as a result of climate change, Vital resources such as rivers, lakes, and wildlife, which should be held in trust by the public, are being degraded. The court, the court will be deciding the constitutionality of the state's energy policy that supports and promotes an economy driven by fossil fuels, as well as the law that allows agencies to ignore the impacts of climate change in their decision making. This is a very interesting case because the U.S. Constitution, Jimena, does not recognize the human rights to health, but mm -hmm. some states like Montana do acknowledge the right to a healthy environment. These young people appeal for the rights to sue the state of Montana over climate change. Mm -hmm. Appealing for human rights is a promising legal strategy for some countries with human rights courts. For example, there is a recent case where 25 young people won a lawsuit against the Colombian government over deforestation in the Amazon. And I am hoping to see more cases like this in the near future. Kids and young people will be the most affected by climate change, and they understand how important is their involvement in this matter. In the context of climate change, recognizing the rights of nature have, has several benefits. One, prevention of ecological harm through lawsuits that 
to fight destructive practices and promote sustainable alternatives to mitigate the adverse effects of ch climate change. Two, climate adaptation and resilience through safeguarding critical habitats, preserving biodiversity, and restoring natural systems that provide climate regulation services. And three, recognition of indigenous and local community rights to empower the protection of their land, preserve their culture, and contribute to the efforts of climate change mitigation and adaptation. And climate change is a big word. The rights of nature regarding climate change still pose several challenges because, let me tell you five things. One, climate change is a complex issue because it's driven by human activities with interconnected causes and effects within intricate ecological systems. So it's complex. Number two, many legal systems are anthropocentric focusing primarily on human rights and property rights. So recognizing and protecting the rights of nature will require a shift in legal thinking and the recognition of the intrinsic value of ecosystems. Number three, nature lacks its own voice. So determining how to quantify and represent nature's rights involves legal, scientific, and philosophical considerations. Four, achieving a balance between the rights of nature, human rights, and socio-economic and political considerations require careful deliberation and decision-making. There are a lot of things to think about. And five, climate change on a global scale requires international cooperation and coordination. Implementing the rights of nature all over the planet can be a challenging task due to contradictory legal systems different cultural perspectives and conflicting levels of environmental consciousness between nations. And we have also to consider, Jimena, that there's the question of whether governments can be held accountable for the climate crisis when no single actor is responsible mm -hmm. and that courts are designed to react to damage that has been inflicted while the majority of climate-related complaints refer to harm that will unfold in the future. Yes. While the 2020 UNEP report stated that only a few cases were explicitly related to climate change, the 2022 report from the Granham Research Institute on Climate Change and the Environment at the London School of Economics and Political Science states that hundreds of climate lawsuits have been filed in recent years. People are starting to get frustrated by the slow pace at which governments and nations are acting regarding greenhouse gas emissions and have turned to the courts for help. Several lawsuits have had outcomes that encourage more aggressive climate action and the success rate has surprised many experts. Yeah, yeah, that's good to hear. And despite the challenges, there is a growing worldwide recognition of nature's rights. It's something like the rights of women or child labor movements. They started making some noise and then they sparked the world. Interestingly, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights is younger than my parents. <laughs> it was green in 1948. So everything is possible. And to overcome the rights of nature challenges, we will need to we will need some innovative legal and political thinking, interdisciplinary collaboration and global cooperation and coordination. But you must also know and understand that you have a choice 
and you have a voice to claim nature's rights. You just need to be aware of a problem. Yes, we're going through a problem and willing to be part of a solution. Absolutely. We are approaching the end of this episode. So let's do a quick recap of five facts we reviewed today. Yes, One. please. <laughs> uh, we'll do it. One, the inherent rights of nature or earth rights is a legal and jurisprudential concept that aims to provide inherent rights to ecosystems and natural elements, very similar to the concept of granting fundamental human rights. Two, rather than treating nature as a property under the law, the right of nature acknowledges that the natural world has the right to exist, flourish, regenerate its vital cycles, and evolve without human-caused disruption. Three, the concept of rights of nature provides a legal framework for holding individuals, corporations, and governments accountable for actions that harm the environment. Four, when an ecosystem is declared the subject of rights, it has the right to be legally represented by a guardian, will act on its behalf and in its best interest. And five, fundamental human rights are connected to a safe environment and climate and have been integrated into the political constitutions of over 100 countries. However, the rights of nature regarding climate change still poses several challenges. Mm -hmm. Now, let me tell you what are the things you can do. One, be informed and acknowledge that climate change and environmental damage are real and that we're going through a climate crisis that needs our urgent attention and action. Two, keep in mind that all life and all natural elements on our planet are connected. Three, shift your mindset and be aware that the natural world has the right to exist, flourish, regenerate, and evolve without human-caused disruption. Four, strive to contemplate your surroundings, natural your surrounding natural environment and every natural element as a living being that provides for you, has intrinsic value and deserves legal protection. And five, remember that you have the legal authority and responsibility to ensures, ensure, enforce nature's rights. I am always encouraged by the things we can do, Jimena. And this yes. is one of the most ambitious. Mm -hmm. Remember that whatever we do as individual families and communities adds to the global solution. And it makes us also messengers of hope and responsible ancestors. Just imagine being remembered by your grandchildren as one of the leaders that constructed the Universal Declaration for the Rights of Nature. Isn't that Ooh, awesome? I would love that. Yeah, <laughs> love that. <laughs> I'm looking forward to our next conversation. We'll go deeper into the health benefits of nature. And if you want to learn more about all the things we have discussed today, we will prepare a list of materials you can access for additional reading. Mm -hmm. Perfect. I'm so excited about next week's conversation. Thank you, Lorenzo. Thank you, Alexa. And thank you for tuning in and joining us in casual conversations about health and the environment in Healthy Planet, Healthy You. Nos vemos la próxima semana. We hope you join us next week. Hasta la próxima. See you there. <laughs> Bye. Bye for now. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Healthy Planet, Healthy You with Jimena Yanez and Lorenzo Rosenzweig. We hope you've learned something new today that can help you in your life and how to make this a better planet. Until next time, have a healthy and regenerative week.